there was a group of uh, retired friends who would gather every Saturday morning at a, at a deli in Salt Lake City. Now, these uh, friends would drink coffee and they would solve the world's problems. I'm sure some of that happens here as well. And uh, after a while, they kind of got bored with the same old tired conversation, figuring everything out. There was no one to really hear who hadn't already heard. And so they decided they needed to, to shake things up a bit. So they went across the street where the farmer's market was uh, set up and they put up a card table and they made a banner above the card table that said, old coots giving advice. It may be bad advice, but it's free. And to their surprise, folks started showing up like crazy with all sorts of questions. Questions like, where can I find someone to love? Uh, Another question was, why does my cat relieve himself on everything in the house? Have I put in enough time at my new job to ask for a one-week vacation? And what do you do if your house is filled with ghosts? And so these friends were answering all kinds of questions. In fact, their booth was one of the most popular at the farmer's market. One person inquired and said, what qualifies you to answer these questions. And one of the old coots spoke up and said, well, actually nothing qualifies us to answer these questions, but nothing qualified Ann Landers either. And she answered a lot of questions. (laughs) And he said, we just hope we don't mess people up too much. But can you imagine all kinds of people are walking up to this table filled with perfect strangers and asking them some pretty incredible questions. Some questions really consequential questions. It reminds us that all of us are looking for wisdom from somewhere. We're we're looking for advice regarding how to live. Now, now we often look to friends. We we get our friends' advice. Hey, what should I do about this? Some folks will will go to horoscopes. Hey, I read my horoscope this week. This is is what's going to happen. I wouldn't advise doing that. Some, Some have made it a a daily routine to listen to a certain TV show where you're going to get this great advice. You're going to learn how to live, how to have the the, the good life every day, listening to to this favorite TV guru, or maybe it's a celebrity star or a sports star, and you're listening to what they say, or you're reading a blog. We go to all sorts of places for wisdom. But where do you go for wisdom? When you need to know which direction to go, where do you go? What do you allow to order and to direct your lives? These are the questions that we'll think about this morning as we continue our journey through the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 3, and we'll see that James has some very bold words to say about where we look for wisdom. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to take a pew Bible there in front of you. Turn to page 1072, and you can follow along with us in a moment. I'll remind you that the book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother, He was a key leader at the church in Jerusalem, one of the elders there at the church in Jerusalem, and he was writing to Christians who had been scattered out all over the Mediterranean world, probably because of the persecution that had risen against the church in Jerusalem. Let's take a look at his words to these believers. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. In this passage, James contrasts heavenly wisdom or the wisdom of God and worldly wisdom. Let's look in verse 13 as we think together about these two kinds of wisdom. James begins with a probing question. Who is wise? Now, James may have asked this question because there were some in the church who thought because of their background, they were, they were kind of socially up there, or perhaps because they had an incredible education or great learning, perhaps they thought they were the authorities. And so James asked this question, hey, who's wise? Who's really wise? For James, we see that wisdom is not about your background, not about your social standing, not about your great learning. Wisdom is about right living and right attitudes. James says that a a wise person is going to demonstrate his or her wisdom by good conduct. Further, James says that this good conduct is going to be accompanied by a godly attitude, an attitude of humility or an attitude of gentleness. To restate it, wisdom from God is about a changed life and a changed attitude. So what does verse 13 teach us about worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom? Well, James's words encourage you to test your attitude and your actions to see what kind of wisdom is driving your life. Test them. Check them out. Look at your life. Examine your life and ask, am I being driven by the wisdom of the world or am I being driven by the wisdom of God? Now, I heard the, uh, the story of a little girl who when her mom had left the room, got a hold of a pair of scissors, and she went to town. She had quite a bob, and her mom walked in, and she was horrified. Her little girl's hair looked terrible. And the little girl looked up at her mom. Her mom said, what did you do? And the little girl said, well, mama, I didn't think you'd know I hid all of the hair. (laughs) Well, you know what? Often, we're like that little girl. We, we think we can hide something. We, we think that, that we can kind of pretend to be following God, but then really kind of not follow God. But in reality, our attitudes and our actions reveal what our real influences are. What kind of wisdom is guiding our lives? It becomes evident. We, we can't hide. We, we think we can hide. We think we can pretend. But in reality, we can't pretend. It comes spilling out. It comes leaking out. So what does your attitude What does your attitude say about what's in the driver's seat of your life? What do your actions and your conduct reveal about what's driving you? You see, we just can't hide. Let's consider a couple questions as we think about how this works out in our lives. First, do you seek to live a life that pleases God? Do you seek to live a life that pleases Him? Or is your life about pleasing yourself or pleasing your friends or pleasing your boyfriend or your girlfriend or or whoever? Is your life about pleasing yourself or is your life about chasing the applause of others? Well, if so, you're being guided by the wisdom of the world. Or do you deep down really want to live a life that glorifies God? If you really long to please Him, that's heavenly wisdom. That's a heart set in the right direction. 
But if your heart's set on what you want, your heart's set on what others want, you're, you're heading in the wrong way. Next, how's your attitude? How's your attitude? If your attitude is marked by arrogance, you know, you're pretty sharp and you know it. Or if your attitude is marked by an unhealthy focus on yourself, these are evidences of the world's wisdom at play in our lives. You see, the right attitude is marked by gentleness. It's marked by humility, a regard for others. So worldly wisdom produces arrogance It produces an unhealthy self-centeredness, but heavenly wisdom leads to a humble spirit that focuses on others. So what kind of wisdom is in the driver's seat of your life? Is it worldly or is it heavenly? We've seen that our attitudes and our action reveal the kind of wisdom that's driving our lives. Let's keep looking at these two kinds of wisdom in verses 14 through 16. James spells out what worldly wisdom is like and what it produces. If you claim to have wisdom, James says, some of you will claim that you're wise. But if your life is marked by bitter envy, if it's marked by selfish ambition, he said, you're just lying to yourself. This is the thing that's so dangerous about sin. Sin has a way in my life and in your life of tricking us, of deceiving us, of bringing us to the place that we can't even see reality. What James is saying is, you may believe that that you're spiritual and you're following the wisdom of God. But in reality, you're not at all. You may, your life may be filled with, with a bitter envy, with, with a jealousy, with, with a selfish ambition. These are not marks of, of, of the ways of God. Let's think about bitter envy together. Bitter envy or jealousy is a sorrow over the successes and the blessings of another. You look at what somebody else has and, and you, you're just frustrated and angry and sorrowful that you don't have that. Why do they have that? It's not fair. You know, you've done this and this and this, and and look, everything's been handed to them. Well, if you'd been in their situation, you'd be doing far better, right? Oh, this is the wisdom of the world. This is the way, this is the the talk of, of foolish people. That's what James is saying. He says that if your attitude is characterized next by selfish ambition, that's a mark of, of worldly wisdom. What, what does selfish ambition look like? It looks like self-promotion. We, we see this often with social media, don't we? Carefully curating the events of your life so that everything looks so perfect and wonderful. We're, we're tempted to do that. We're tempted, we're, we're tempted to, to do all that we can to self-promote, to, to pursue our self-interest. So selfish ambition says, you know what? I want what I want, and I don't care about the cost. I don't care what other people want. I don't really care what their interests are. It's about what I want. Don't we see that driving so much of the the dialogue today? And frankly, if we're honest with ourselves, don't we see it when we look in the mirror? We, We want what we want. But when we're living like that, that's the world's wisdom. That's what James says. Notice in verse 14 that James references the heart The Christian faith is about having a heart that's been remade, a heart that's been transformed and changed. The Christian faith is concerned about who we are on the inside. What's going on in the interior of our lives? Worldly wisdom is overly concerned with the outside, 
overly concerned with the clothes you wear, how you look, what you're, all that stuff. That's the stuff that, that, that worldly wisdom is focused on, but godly wisdom looks deeper. It looks to the heart. In verse 15, James spells out quite clearly the source of worldly wisdom, and it isn't from above, James says, and he uses three words to do this. First, this kind of wisdom is earthly. Now, Paul uses the very same Greek word that's used here in Philippians 3.19 when he says that the enemies of Christ are focused on earthly things. By earthly, James means the sinful ways of the world as opposed to God's ways. Second, James calls this so-called wisdom unspiritual. By this, he means that it's simply not of God. The same word is used in the Greek in Jude 19 to describe those who are worldly, who cause division within the church, and who do not have the Spirit of God. Third, James just lays it out on the table. This kind of so-called wisdom is demonic. It's hellish. It's from another world. It is of the devil himself. It's not wisdom from God. In verse 16, James points to the fruits of this so-called wisdom. What does this kind of wisdom, this worldly wisdom, what does it produce? And he says the results of this kind of, in, uh, of, this kind of uh, wisdom are envy and selfish ambition. Envy that, that results, he says, in every kind of disorder and evil practice. Look at how all-encompassing that is. James says where you find it, envy and selfish ambition, you find every kind of evil imaginable. You could just list every kind of evil where you find those people who are driven by their own desires and who are focused on themselves, you find every kind of awful conduct and evil practice. So this self-promotion and this intent to get my way leads to fighting and chaos. Ultimately, Worldly wisdom leads to every kind of evil. It brings disorder. It brings chaos. It brings brokenness. This so-called wisdom, it may look good. It may sound good, but in the end, it is never good. In the end, it always hurts. It always destroys. So what do verses 14 through 16 teach about worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom? Well, number two, Beware of the chaos that results when you allow worldly wisdom to drive your life. Beware of the chaos that, that comes when you allow worldly wisdom to drive your life. Now, some of you have probably heard of Ben Roethlisberger. He's a quarterback from some little-known NFL team out in Pennsylvania. Right, Greg? Is that right? Well, back in 2010... Ben was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but it probably wasn't a cover that he framed because the headline for the article was The Hangover, and it chronicled his wild and reckless behavior, chronicled the accusations that, that were made against him during that time period of his treating women with disrespect. And over and over in the story, Roethlisberger's arrogance was highlighted the story said that he went through life with a don't you know who I am kind of an attitude. Well, his attitude and his actions brought him a lot of trouble. A four-game suspension, even criminal investigation. Roethlisberger's attitude and actions back in 2010 revealed a life that was being driven by the wisdom of the world. And the results, they weren't good at all. 
Now, thankfully, he made some changes and, and uh, headed in a different direction after this rough season in his life. But what about you? What about you? Are you trying to live life by your own rules? Maybe not as boldly as he was, but if the truth be known, that, that's where you're at. You're living by your own rules. You're going your own way. After all, the world constantly tells you, you be you. Do what you want to do. It's about you. But if you are, friend, I want you to know the results won't be good. It may seem good for a while, but the results will not be good. You'll find yourself in a mess, a chaotic mess created often by the, by the bad decisions that you make. So how should we think about these truths in our lives? Well, first, consider the results of living the world's ways. Consider the results of living the world's ways. Living the way of the world, again, may, may work for a while. In fact, it may be a blast, but it will not last. The world's ways lead to harm, but God, in his love for us, longs to protect us from that. When God tells us that we ought to live this way and and follow this path and not do this, but to do that, it's not that he's trying to hem us in and make life boring and horrible and difficult. It's because of his great love. It's because he's trying to protect us from the things that will destroy us and harm us and wound us. He, he loves us when we reject his wisdom in favor of the world's wisdom. The results will be terrible in our lives, but they never remain just in our lives. The results have a way of sort of inching out. They affect our families. They affect our churches. They affect our communities. They affect our schools. Our decisions are never just our own. Our decisions always always affect so many others. Next, much of the drama, much of the drama in our lives can be traced back to our following worldly wisdom. But that, that's, just, that's just a reality. We overspend and foolishly borrow, and then we find ourselves in a financial bind. And yet, if we'd followed God's word, we, we would know that we need to be careful in our spending. We would know that we need to be careful in, in borrowing and in debt. That's just one example. When it comes to, to God's guidelines regarding intimacy, we, we break it what God's word says regarding intimacy, and then we can't figure out why we're having all these relationship problems. And we could give example after example. What God's word says is for our good. It's for our well-being. It's not to hurt us. It's to, it's to protect us. It's to help us. So much of the pain in our lives is a result of rejecting the clear and simple word of God. So we've seen that we must beware of the chaos that following the world's ways brings into our lives. Let's keep looking at heavenly and worldly wisdom as we look at verses 17 and 18. Now James explains heavenly wisdom. He says it's pure. In other words, it's holy. It's innocent. It strives to, it strives to be clean. So this is a person whose lives are marked by purity, whose thinking is marked by by purity, not filth and and garbage. He says that that heavenly wisdom is peace-loving. It it longs to to maintain and to repair relationships. It doesn't thrive on dissension and trouble and strife. No, instead, it's always seeking to to repair relationships, to heal uh, uh, brokenness in relationships. James says that heavenly wisdom is gentle, That means it seeks to be kind with others and to be considerate of the feelings of others. 
He says that it's compliant. Some translations use the word reasonable. The idea is that this kind of wisdom is willing to defer to others. There's an openness to understand another's position. And that's an openness that marks a healthy community and, and healthy relationships. James says that heavenly wisdom is full of mercy. Full of mercy. It's marked by compassion and concern, particularly for those who are hurting or who are in need. It's full of good fruits. In other words, the outcome of a person's life who's walking in heavenly wisdom, it produces good fruits that, that are a blessing to others, that, that help and, and, and encourage others. James says that wisdom from above is unwavering. In other words, there's a single-hearted commitment to the Lord Jesus. And James says that wisdom from above is without pretense or hypocrisy. In other words, this is not about playing a game. This is not coming on Sunday and putting on your happy little Sunday mask and then going out into the world and living however you want. James says there's no pretense with heavenly wisdom. It is marked by sincerity and genuineness, desiring to live a life that truly honors God. So what do verses 17 and 18 teach about worldly and heavenly wisdom? Well, recognize and enjoy the blessings that result when you allow God's wisdom to drive your life. Recognize and enjoy the blessings that result when you allow God's wisdom to drive your life. Now, working out can be a drag, especially at first. Some of you have gotten into a routine of working out and it's not a drag, it's something you look forward to. But for a lot of folks, particularly just starting out, working out is not something that you go, oh yes, I'm gonna get up at five in the morning and go run or go to the gym or lift weights. You gotta be disciplined. You gotta carve out time in your schedule whether it's early morning or some other point during your day. And then you gotta, you gotta begin the grind of, of disciplining your body. But in the long run, we know that staying fit has great benefit. It has great benefit for our physical health. It also has great benefit for our mental health, for for our emotional health. Well, following God's wisdom can sometimes be a little bit like that. Sometimes to do what, what the Word of God says is hard. Sometimes it seems rough. God, why do you say that? When this is what I want to do, when this is what would feel good, God, your Word says this. But we know in the long run, if we follow His Word, well, like like working out and staying fit, what will be a blessing physically, mentally. Well, following his word is going to be a blessing spiritually and beyond. Even though at times it it seems tough, it seems hard, it's the right thing to do. When you hold to the Bible's teachings on whatever topic, many times you're going to be called ignorant, you're going to be called intolerant, you're going to be called foolish. In reality, following the wisdom of God results in human well-being and in human benefit, in human flourishing. For example, take what the Bible has to say about sexuality and marriage. The Bible calls for intimacy only within the context of of marriage. And the Bible defines marriage as between one man and one woman. And then the Bible calls for faithfulness within that marriage relationship. So I ask the question, should a husband remain faithful to his wife? Now, most of you would immediately say, of course, Absolutely, a husband ought to be faithful to his wife. But how do we know that? I mean, how do we really know that a husband ought to be faithful to his wife? Well, you could answer, well, God's word says that. And you'd be right. God's word says that plainly. But if you don't follow the wisdom of the word, now stay with me, and you only follow the wisdom of the world, how do you answer that question? How can you make the argument that a husband ought to remain faithful to his wife? If you follow just the wisdom of the world, 
You remember the prevailing wisdom of the world when it comes to, to, to intimacy is as long as consenting adults are involved, anything goes. Isn't that what the world says? How can you argue that a husband shouldn't cheat on his wife or a wife shouldn't cheat on her husband if you're following the wisdom of the world? Now, if you're following the wisdom of God, you've got a rock-solid foundation. But if you're following the wisdom of the world, how can you truly make that argument? What's your, what's your reasoning behind it? Now, we know that most people do agree that cheating in marriage is, is wrong, and we're grateful for that. That's an example of God's common grace in which he puts what's right and wrong in the hearts of people. But if we're following the world's wisdom, we have to admit there's no real foundation for being faithful to a spouse. But God's will, wisdom yields great fruit. When a husband obeys God's word and he's faithful to his wife and a wife obeys God's word and she's faithful to her husband, well, what happens? Well, you have a, two people who walk with God and who, who love each other. Well, that's a blessing to them and it strengthens them. But not only that, it's a blessing to the kids. And it's a blessing to, to their extended families and to the, the community. You see, it's good for, for everyone when we actually follow what the Word of God says. But what happens when we reject what the Word of God says? What if a husband says, you know what? You may say that I ought to be faithful to my wife, but if we're consenting adults... We'll do what we please. And that argument's made all the time. There was a very popular website that, that made its whole existence on that idea to help married people cheat on one another. And so the fella cheats on his wife. And eventually he gets found out what happens. Now you've got this broken marriage. You've got wounds. There's blood and it gets nasty. And the fallout doesn't just affect him and her. And whoever else this person is over here, no, it affects the kids. And then as it affects the kids, well, it affects grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa on the other side. And it affects the kids when they go to school. And now you've got teachers trying to deal with the problems that have come from dad fooling around on mom because junior here can't behave in class. Not saying that's the only reason junior doesn't behave. There's no doubt that we're all marked by sin. But I want you to see that our sinful choices affect all the people around us. But instead, when we follow God's wisdom, there's protection, there's strength, there's blessing there. Let's think about a, another area. When you think about, about intimacy, any intimacy outside of the marriage context, the Bible calls sinful. But again, the world says, Psh, that's old fashioned, that's Victorian, do what you want to do. You're consenting adults to do what you want. Yet when there's intimacy outside of the bonds of marriage, there's all kinds of dangers. There's the possibility of disease. Even some that are life-threatening. There's the possibility of an unwanted pregnancy. And now another life's put in jeopardy. There's the very real possibility of broken hearts that, that need not be when that lady discovers that really he was just using her the whole time that those words, I love you, they weren't real. You see, when 
when a couple engages in intimacy, it often leads the relationship to escalate before it should, builds it on a foundation that isn't strong, and then couples are deceived and tricked and think, man, I, we love each other. We're so passionate about each other. We're so crazy in love, and then they get married or, or they whatever. They, they continue the relationship together, and then they discover they really didn't build it on anything at all but, but just physical. And then you've got this bad relationship and this messed up relationship. What happened? Well, they were tricked because they... They went beyond what God's word said. They broke his word. And then they thought they were getting into a good marriage, a good situation. But instead, they have to to suffer the, the weight of what is reality when we walk outside of the wisdom of God's word. Now, this area of marriage and intimacy is just one example. We could look at all kinds of areas and we could show how when we follow God's word, even though it seems backward to the world, it's for our good. It's not just for our good, it's for the good of those we love, for the good of of our community. Yes, the wisdom of God brings great blessing. The wisdom of the world brings great pain. So let's ask a couple of questions to help us as we think through this in our lives. First, are the marks of heavenly wisdom evident in your life? Do you long for purity and strive to walk in purity? Are you gentle with others? You don't want to hurt people? careful not to to hurt them? Are you willing to listen and be reasonable with others? Is your life marked by mercy? Are you single-minded in your commitment to God? Are you genuine, really trying to follow God, not, not putting on a show? These are marks of heavenly wisdom, and they'll develop in our lives as we follow God's word. Next, are your relationships primarily marked by strife or peace? Are your relationships primarily marked by strife or peace? If you have trouble getting along with most people, it may be an indicator that the problem's here. Not all of those people, but here. It may be an indicator that we've bought into the the world's way of thinking. That's what James is saying here. When we follow God's wisdom, it ought to work itself out in harmonious relationships. It's not to say that we'll never have trouble with people. We recognize that in a sinful world, we're going to have trouble. But if we have trouble most of the time or often in our relationships, we need to do some soul searching and ask the Lord to help us begin to, to, to follow Him and, and, and His Word. Next, decide now that you're going to follow God in every area of life. Decide now that you're going to follow God's word in every area of your life. The world says, hey, do this, do that, do this. Don't buy all of that. Look to the word to help you make decisions. Look to the word to help you know what's wise and good, what's right. In the end, it'll be your blessing and not your harm. It'll be the blessing of those that you love. So what's James's primary message in this passage? Let the wisdom of the word drive your life, not the wisdom of the world. Let the wisdom of the word drive your life, not the wisdom of the world. I read the story of a a man named Pete. He was an elderly man, and he had been in an accident and was put in a nursing home for a period of, of rehab. Now, he did not go to church, but his wife was a faithful church member. But because of health problems around that same period, she had to quit going to church. She was she was homebound. Well, this woman's pastor went to visit her husband Pete after the accident. Now, for years, Pete had refused to go to church with his wife. She went without him every Sunday. As the pastor began to talk to this elderly man, it became clear to the pastor that that Pete had real questions about about who Jesus was and 
and had an interest in knowing more about him and, and, and following Jesus. And so the pastor shared with Pete about how Jesus died for his sins and how he was buried and how he came back to life. And if Pete would turn from his sin and put his faith in Jesus, he could know the Lord Jesus. And Pete did just that. He was 86 years old and he became a Christian. He became a believer at 86. And at that point, he could not get enough of the Bible. That pastor said that, that in weeks, he had read through all four of the gospels. He was, he was reading the Bible like crazy and he was growing in his new faith. Well, he got better and he was able to go home. And when he returned home, he, he began to care for his, his wife, again, who, who was homebound. He didn't go to church though he wanted to and he kept hoping that his wife would improve. They could go to church together. It never happened. She eventually passed away. But once she passed away, Pete got into church. He got very involved in church and he was baptized in March of this year at the age of 88. At the age of 88. Pete's story reminds us of this beautiful truth. It's never, ever too late to let your life be driven by the wisdom of God. It's never too late. Today, you could make a change. Today, you could say, you know what? I've been, I've been kind of drifting away. I've been kind of going toward the wisdom of the world. Today, you could say, Jesus, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow the wisdom of God. And you know what? Because God is gracious and good, he forgives, and he gives us a fresh start. He gives us a second chance. Today, would you follow the wisdom of God? Would you say, God, that's the way I'm going now, some of you are here and you've never become a believer. And I would say to you that what Pete did was the most important decision that anyone could ever make, the decision to turn from sin and to put your faith and your trust, your life in the hands of Jesus. If you've never done that, today you could do that. This could be your turning point. Friend, if you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to today. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing. I'll be here at the front. Brother Ralph Huerta will be here at the front. And we would love to visit with you more about how you can know the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.